0: Welcome to Connecting Africa, a podcast series from Africa Tech Festival where we will be chatting to some of Africa's top thought leaders and startups about the hot topics in tech across the continent and beyond. I'm Paula coming to you from Durban, South Africa, and helping me to make sense of it all are my two co hosts from different parts of the world.
1: I'm Toby, recording this from Accra, Ghana, my new home since moving from Nigeria.
2: And I'm Tian, recording from Jersey City, my new home since moving from Brooklyn. It's not that dramatic. So that's talk about diversity and inclusion in the tech industry. And you can hear from my voice that I'm the perfect candidate to talk about this. So, you know, I'm going to hand it to Paula.
0: Thanks. That's a really difficult way to start. I do like diversity because, you know, I happen to be a woman. So that's one of the categories that, you know, struggle a bit, especially in in tech. Uh, This next person that we spoke to, um, Baratang Mia, is like a really good example of someone who, you know, pulled herself up, you know, um, from nowhere um and now has this like successful business she's done so well um but it wasn't that easy for her and she was coming up you know in a time in south africa that was sort of tumultuous i guess just coming out of apartheid trying to go to university you know when she was already a mother so um yeah her story is really interesting and and what i found amazing was just that she You know, she was given a lot of opportunities because maybe she was coming in at a time where they were looking for diversity they were looking for someone just like her who had the passion that she had, but she took all those opportunities and she ran with them. And now she runs an organization that teaches girls to code, um, producing the next sort of generation of women who are going to be in the industry.
2: The one thing she said about she had to be confident and it was something she struggled with because she grew up poor and she was like struggling with a lot of things in life and she had to she had to take on this white man's confidence (laughs) and then she's like i just need to take it on and just like be comfortable i think it's not so much of like pretending but it's more so 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 much as like you have to be comfortable in the room talking to people project your vision now she's trying to use that and, and give it to, pass it on to the next generation of people who are not just learning about coding. I think coding is good, you can learn by yourself, but you're really learning about this mentality of like, I can be successful and then I can do what I want to do if I put the work into it. I think that's something that's harder to teach.
0: Yeah, and I think um, something a lot of women struggle with is um, the imposter syndrome. it's something you hear a lot so women even when you know you rise to a level where you're doing really well you're always thinking oh someone's gonna find out that i shouldn't be here you know someone's gonna realize that i'm just an imposter and it's something like i've struggled with a lot myself um and so it's awesome to see someone who was like no i'm gonna take on this white man's confidence and i'm gonna you know
1: but in a good way exactly (laughs) (laughs) and i think one thing that stood out for me was just how organic um her story was in the sense that you know it's not like she had this well laid out plan for what she wanted to do including starting some of her businesses you know the funny story that i do not want to give away now that you're gonna hear but it was just quite interesting to see
2: went with the flow like she studied one thing and somebody told her to do that thing and she joined that and then she changed her major entirely her story mimicked kind of the changes in south africa and like how it welcomes people and now fast forward to now there's still work to be done so let's just take a listen to this episode Welcome to the show, Baratang. Did I say that right?
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, not really. I I can see that you're not really happy with my pronunciation. (laughs) um, You are the founder and the CEO of Girl Hype, and you've been doing this. This is your passion project for 18 years. And listeners, should also know you love hiking and getting coffee? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Just so we understand who you are. Um, so we want to start with your personal journey, university in Cape Town, having, having baby, playing video games and making money to pay for babysitter. I wish I know that one. So we want to talk about that first and then kind of segue into your journey as like, you know, facing all the obstacles of diversity in the tech industry. And, and at the end, we'll talk about where do we go from here.
3: So I grew up in South Africa. I was born in Glextop and I went to a, what they would call a township school. So in South Africa, they had schools for black kids and schools for white kids. And those, you know, there were black people who could attend white people's school school kids by the time I went to school, but my parents couldn't afford that. So I literally went to a township, very under-resourced school. And the teachers, I mean, the language, English language was very limited for them. So they would teach in my mother tongue, which is Tawana. And I would translate everything to English. Because I was a brilliant girl, I ended up finishing and I couldn't go to university because there was no one to give me money to go there. And within two years of doing that, I fell pregnant and I had my daughter. I applied to be a lawyer and I was accepted until I went to court to do the, you know, like when you apply to be a prosecutor, you have to have the gowns and what in South Africa. So when I went for the interview and they went to go check all that for me, um, the person who had been interviewing me realized that my waist is a bit bigger than it's supposed to be. And he asked me, are you pregnant? And I said, yeah. And he said, no, we don't take pregnant women on this program. Oh, neither. If you have a child, we can't take you. And that was it. That was the end of my route of being an attorney.
0: What? And I went... Wow, that's crazy.
2: <laughs> well, first of all, nobody should ask that question ever, right?
3: <laughs> no, they, they were allowed.
2: Uh, oh, you're allowed?
3: A... Oh. Not anymore, I what? hope. No, not yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah.
2: The answer to the question is always, how dare you, right? <laughs> I, I've now asked that I'll question say a
3: but no at the problem. time I was so scared, I just wanted to get through and I thought that he won't notice that I'm pregnant, so then yeah. he noticed that was because even in the forms it said, you can't have a child, you can't have this, there were so many restrictions and you could only, they could only apply if you are a woman, if you are a man, who's going to prove that you've got a child or whatever. The first experience for me, but you know, that experience didn't teach me anything about gender imbalances. It just taught, it just made me feel insecure in myself and I felt like I made the biggest mistake of my life and Mm. so I went to a school that was opened by the South African government to teach young people how to start business or find a job and I, I chose the one for business and I went to interior designing. In fact, when I went, it wasn't interior designing. It was just to teach me how to do, how to use machines and so things that people can use in their bathrooms or hang kittens. But because I had the, inter- the business mind, the facilitator there loved me. And she said to me, you know what? I'm going to teach you more and you can start your business in interior design. So after that class, I attended a business school. That was also run by government. You must understand that was at the transition time of South Africa. It was 1993, 94, just before Mm. the democracy. So they were trying to get young people to participate and, you know, to get jobs and to be active, Mm. not for us to be jumping up and down politics in the streets all the time. So it worked because I got funding. From, from the small business development. And I ran, that, I ran that business for seven years, raised enough money to send myself to university. Oh. When I got to university, I already had two kids. In that process, I had my son, but um, that love for education never stopped. I applied to UCT and they accepted me because you must understand the first time I was rejected into education it was because it was of my because pregnancy. Of... So I mm. lived with my mindset that if you have mm. a child, no institution will take you without knowing that there's other. And she said, no, 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 those things ended a long time ago. Just apply. Um, I applied, got to UCT, and here I am sitting in front of you.
0: So what happened, um, which like sort of switched you from that law track into you know coding and, and more ICT?
3: I applied to the law faculty and I didn't qualify. Within three months, I realized, no, 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 law is too difficult. So I make my mind very quickly. I realized, no, 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 this, you didn't come here to fail. You came mm. here to get a degree. So I dropped the law altogether because I was now in love with psychology. So I majored with industrial psychology and sociology. What happened when I was at universities? So I could never leave my kids with anyone. So the first year that I went there, I spent the whole year trying to convince the university that I need residence where I can live with my children. They were giving it to to people who are studying for PhD in their sabbaticals. But I, I knew that I need to live with my children because I, I had lost that opportunity mm-hmm. when I was a child. My mother was a domestic worker, she was never there. I was raised by my grandmother, and I felt like, you know, I need my kids to feel the mom love. I don't want to do what happened to me to them. So yeah. The university allowed me because I I explained my story every week. And in the end, (laughs) I
0: got president. (laughs) You wore them down. Yeah.
3: Also, when I left Flagstaff, we left in a shack. I lived in a small shack. I was like a husband, mother, you know, like I had created this little world of mine that I just didn't want anymore. And I knew I don't want my children to live like that. So... That was what was pushing me to get me out of the, to get them out of klekstop. So imagine now I'm second year. I have two kids, both going to after, use University of Cape Town aftercare. Mm-hmm. So every morning, like 3 a.m., I'm awake, I'm studying. Six o'clock, I prepare them. Seven o'clock, they leave for, uh, they, they, there was a shuttle that comes, fetch them. They go to educare. Around the daycare closed at six o'clock. I never made a mistake. I arrived there exactly one minute past six to fetch them. <laughs> because I knew that if I go early, who's going to watch them? So mm. the need for a babysitter was always there. My son was at aftercare and he was like three and one day I'm walking up and down University, you know, like because I was always working, either I'm handing out pamphlets at traffic lights so that I make money, or I'm mm. doing something for the university. There was always odd jobs that I was doing. So when I saw the pamphlet, say, so there's university students doing research where you could play Minecraft and they are doing their own research. I still don't know what research because mm. all yeah. I saw was play <laughs> a game. Right. for one hour and you will be paid 30 ren and i went straight away to said it was engineering faculty so i went and i knocked through the door i found four boys white boys no surprise to me till this day i can visualize them and i said to them guys what do you need for someone to play the game and they said nothing and i said um, any age limit they said no i think they used the wrong word saying game so I said to them, OK, I'm coming back. Went to aftercare, <laughs> fetched my son, and then took Ooh. him to them. So when I walked in with my son, they were like, oh. and one of them said, no, no, it's fine. Let's try. Because all along, they were researching with a university student. And mm. my son walked in. He was, he was a computer boyfriend in his own right, even though he was three. Hmm. His, his, their father used to play computer games all the time. And with mm-hmm. them, so we had a console for him, and his fingers were used to it. So when they mm-hmm. gave him Minecraft and said, use this, he was used to pressing and pressing. So he started doing his pressing, pressing, pressing. I've never seen that magic happening in front of me. This four connected screen, and every time he plays, something is happening on their screens, and they're changing, and they're discussing, and I'm seeing the code. My brain fell in love at that moment. It was like Mm -hmm. something so intelligent, so powerful that I thought I can never do. To answer your question of how I got into tech. So when I start my business, I start saying, okay, let me go to schools and teach the girls how to use computers. And instead of just teaching them how to use computers, let's do a STEM program where they learn mathematics. They learn how to write, communicate properly, so that when they get to university, they don't struggle. There's no too much struggle.
1: Mm.
3: And that's how Girl Hype was born.
2: Your experience of going to the township, I don't know if the township girl is like a phrase, but you were you're a township girl, and going to law, business, psychology, interior design, and at university and watching your son Play Minecraft, right? But all that experience kind of all gave you a little something. And they all kind of come together in in, in founding this company. So talk to us about this company, what that's like, what your experience of, you know, being a boss of this company. And I don't know if power is the right word, but just being in control you know, right? Because now there's no no, nobody can tell you that you can't do this because you're pregnant, you know, now you're in control. Was the focus always about diversity and, and bring girls into into the fold? Or was it did it change over the years? Like was what was your mission at the beginning? And what is your mission? Now? Has it changed? How has it changed? And what is that journey like?
3: I've always been driven by diversity and inclusion. And I know that if you are on the other side, you are very disempowered. I succeeded because there was always someone to open the door for me in in South Africa. I don't know black women don't like using the word power. I had to learn to use it and feel comfortable in saying mm-hmm. I have I'm most powerful woman. It's not something I gained over a period of I gained it over a period of time. So I knew that when you are on the other side, you're just thinking it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. So diversity and inclusion drove everything I do. I've worked in so many programs. I've done so much. But every time I work in the industry, it's to include those who are marginalized. Teenage Mm -hmm. pregnancy is still very high in South Africa. Um, Young women still lack role models women in leadership still lack that encouragement that you can do it, you're not alone. So the whole point for me is just to inspire girls to consider careers they wouldn't normally consider because of lack of information. And STEM being where most of the opportunities are coming up and 80% of the jobs these days are either in tech or you either have to use tech participate. Now with COVID, you can't operate without a computer. So I, I had a vision that empowering girls to develop important skills to that will assist them to follow their passion and be great in what they do and reach their full potential. It's something I thrive on. 18 years focusing on young women and then for the past five years we've we've changed the program to create job creation so instead of dealing with age 10 to 16 now the first two years we changed to 16 to 18 and now we focus a lot on age 16 to 24 years old because that's Mm -hmm. the time when they finish high school or they're still in high school Math is a very difficult subject so we give them extra so because we do an after school program so we give them extra support so that they understand past mathematics and go into computer science Mm. we need women we need diversity and if i can play even a small minute role i will do it
0: yeah i think um I've kind of experienced, you know, similar similar things in terms of the the gender stuff in my career. Obviously, being a female tech journalist, you know, like you walk into a lot of rooms, um, local conferences, and especially these big international kind of shows, and you you're one of the only women. So, like, the only plus with that is that there's never a queue for the women's bathroom, and like every other time in your life. But um, other than that, it's 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 quite um, jarring seeing so few women. You know, it's just. A whole lot of white dudes in hoodies usually um but i'm sure it's even worse in like the coding and engineering space um and from what you were saying you know if girls don't see themselves in that position then they don't they think they don't fit in
3: when i when i went into tech my situation was a bit different i walked into a space where it was white old males but they were so excited to see me. Like, it was like <laughs> they found a jam. <laughs> right. And mm. so how the program was designed was I worked with the universities. And I had a mentor right from the start. And mm. um, it was Mary Jean. And she worked at my house. She worked for the Cape Chamber of Commerce, And she worked at my house with me and a baby and lots of papers. I was doing research of how I'm going to set up this business. And she said to me, no, that's not how you start a business. You start a business, you register it, and once it's registered and you've got the legalities right, you go to other people's businesses and you sell your concept or else you're not going to go anywhere. And I'll thank her for the rest of my life because she held my hand. And what Mm -hmm. she had was something I didn't have. There was no way I could buy being a white woman. She Mm -hmm. was a white woman in power. So when she entered the space of white males with her confidence, I was behind her doing my thing, because all she said was, let's go to CPUT, which is like a technology university. So we'll get there and she will say, hey, prof, how are you? This is Baratang. Can you tell him what you're doing? And I will tell a long story. Because I, I tell stories, and he/she will say, "No, no, no, no." She teaches girls how to design websites, and all her girls, she wants them to study computer science. And the universities love that to say, "Oh my gosh, you are encouraging girls to study computer science. Let's work with you." So I ended up working with mm. four, five academia institution in South Africa. I called it honeymoon of being welcomed by white males, and they gave me a gift of a lifetime, <laughs> their <laughs> confidence. <laughs>
2: right.
3: So when I walk around, imagine for four years, you are walking around with very white ego culture. And what do you do? You, you copy it without realizing it, that this is what a computer science work like. This is how they speak. This is And anyhow, they are mentoring me without realizing it to the point mm. where when I got to Silicon Valley, 2015 because I wanted I hour to go there. I was so confident. I was overconfident, and I think they also showed me the superpower of tech because they will say, "What are you teaching now?" And I said JavaScript, and say, "Okay, if you're teaching JavaScript, why don't you do this and this and this? Why don't you do this and this and this?" They will that world of openness, mentoring, coaching, supporting was strong.
1: Mm.
3: I would learn later that those skills does not necessarily bring all women to the industry because not every woman can see, mimic and see the model. Mm. And Mm. it doesn't necessarily mean women are going to join the industry because the industry is very exclusive. It's the same thing that they're teaching me that made women go, whoa, I don't want to be part of this industry. So the culture that I had adopted in a way it helps me to stay strong and and stand my ground but not many women have that opportunity
1: that's a very like you know interesting point because i think um when it comes to diversity and inclusion i think there's a tendency to create policies that serve like a kind of woman right and you know the reality is they're different kinds of women and you know that's something i've i've struggled and just had a bit of tension with in the sense that you know a lot of these policies that get put you know across today they serve a kind of woman but i'm wondering okay are you like is that the woman that is in the majority and are you doing this just to take the diversity and inclusion box because you know like you said there was a time when you know people were happy to see you know, a black woman coming into the space and, you know, they didn't have all these requirements put out um, for you to get involved in things. But I feel like we've now transitioned into that part of, or the time in our ecosystem where they're now gatekeepers even for the things that have to do with diversity and inclusion. So I'm just wondering like, what transitions have you seen, you know, compared now in 2020 or 2021, looking at diversity and inclusion and in tech, you know, how is that different to when you first started?
3: So when I first started, I was accepting everything. So whatever came mm. by with it, so I, I was a sponge. So you, <laughs> I see you walking and speaking like this. I didn't realize I'm taking this mainly characteristics of a computer scientist. And that's not what women want. So the more women came into this space, the more they started saying, hey, space is not welcoming. And and I was one of those who, when you say uh, this lack of women in computer science, even though I was working with the girls, I think what I was pushing them was, there's nothing wrong with her being a strong, powerful woman in tech. You must stand for that. But I didn't realize that I had a holiday of being taught how to behave like a man in the tech industry. So I expected every woman who joined to just come into it until... I was at a higher level in the tech. So, and mm-hmm. what happened was, I would question other women, but you know, you can be, you can do this. I had forgotten the causes and the source of why women don't make it in the in the industry, and that helped me because I woke up one day, I was sitting in a meeting and everybody was talking over my head. Must understand now, nah, my. my Slap of you are the best thing that has ever happened to the universe. It's out of the industry now. I'm um, now with young competitive males, and they're saying we're going to play rugby over the weekend. Uh, nobody's inviting me. I'm um, we having we making this big decisions, and everybody's overlooking or whatever I want to say as all of a sudden not relevant, and I'm being judged by my technical abilities, which is in the past. Even though I knew enough and I was doing a program that developed women, everybody loved it. Now all of a sudden everybody sits in meetings and asks me, uh, what language can you code in? Are you a back-end developer? So why didn't you do this? So people are beginning to make me feel small. And the inclusiveness that I felt in the industry is nowhere to be found. And Mm -hmm. the pattern changes. Us women who walked into the space then, we were getting somewhere and we were getting promoted and but now women who are entering now are struggling.
0: And I think the mentorship thing is interesting because like you're saying often you're in a company and there isn't really a female mentor for you or if there is she's got like 10 women to mentor because she's the only one at that level you know and also most women like in my career I've hardly been like mentored in a you know really formal way if, you know what i mean so you've got to seek that out if that's what you want and i don't think a lot of women know how to do that or how to approach it or so i think we talk a lot about oh mentorship mentorship but i think the nitty-gritty of it is sometimes harder than than you think right
3: almost year 12 into girl hype i had picked up everything from everybody when i say a mentor nobody said i'll mentor you there isn't many formal programs that offers mentorship in south africa and there is very few sponsors. There's people who, there's very few people who are sitting there dedicating their time to change someone's lives. Mm. But those a few that are doing it are doing it well. And I think if once we start opening ourselves up, the little that we have, one of the things that Women in Tech events does is to create the sisterhood. In the there was time where I used to hate them, be like, why are we talking, talking, and there's no change. But a few years, two years, three years later, I look at it and I'm like, I've built a network. Mm. I can pick up a phone and call this person because we met at the conference. Now we know each other. And that's why for now, the Women in Tech events serve a purpose because it creates the sisterhood and it exposes women to, oh, there's a woman that I can talk to and build relationships and start asking people, you know, like a lab of how do I go about this? and Mm -hmm. and expose them to seeing that it's doable because you have now some conferences like 500,000 women that are in the same industry with you and all of a sudden you're not alone.
2: So her story, you know, not only Mimics the 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 rise of inclusion in South Africa, so to speak, and it points to the problem now where we just need a lot more data in what we're doing because the algorithm, it's not not like it's just bias. It's not built to be biased, but it happened to be that way because the of lack of diversity in the industry. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And you know the, the thing about diversity is that you know there there are surface versions of it. You know people that do diversity just to check a box, and that also has sort of like its negative effects where you're just you know a body in the room to check a box for. Being put in a room because of your skills. So, yes, I think we've gotten somewhere with at least giving people access to these opportunities but I think the reason for their access is also quite important we need to the point of diversity is the fact that people with a different color of skin from you or different sort of like you know gender from you still have their same sets of skills and can add value um, and then use that as a primary qualifier so progress has been made and it's, it's nice to see what you know people like Baratang are doing to really push forward that conversation and that narrative by actually putting programs out that that you know produce people with the same level of skills as what everyone seems to be used to already.
0: Um, I actually do a lot of, you know, women in tech type interviews, and I speak to a lot of women in the industry about their stories. And it's always so fascinating to me because so many of them have such similar things, but then people have such um, interesting different things that have kind of, you know, happened to them. And, And she was an interesting mix of both of those. And I think on the one hand, you're saying, yes, people are just hiring the best people. But I think the one thing that comes across a lot for me is that the the pipeline is the problem right so if there aren't enough women who are coming up in the industry who are coming up to a certain level there aren't gonna be enough women to make ceo to be considered for ceo you know of jobs so we need to get the pipeline more full of women so that there's more options you know so that they they can be chosen for these big roles and we're seeing it a lot more in africa a lot of high profile kind of roles going to women but i think obviously like you say there's a lot more to be done. And a lot of companies actually are, it's a big focus for them that they want to improve gender inclusion, you know, in the company more, make it more 50 50. But if a company isn't actively trying to do that, I don't think they're going to solve the problems because the pool is just going to be the same people that we had before. Um, So yeah, I think we've got to look at the positives that, you know, it is moving forward. But like you say, there's more work to be done.